These next four weeks, we want to do a blitz through the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, open them to James chapter 1, verses 1 to 27. If you don't, there's an easy Bible app you know, to download on your smartphone called Uversion. It's very easy to navigate there. Or we've got some hard copies in the back. It's just a gift from us to you. Now, it's really important you know, to kind of understand some background to a book so that you can best understand the purpose of the book, which can then be used to apply to our lives. And so James, you know, uh, wrote this book uh, um, um, after the resurrection, you know, of Jesus Christ. You, you need to know that um, James is probably our New Testament uh, version of ADD. Um, um, he writes for a couple verses, and then all of a sudden he completely switches topics, and you're like, whoa, where is he going now? And he completely switches topics again. Uh, part of the reason is because uh, James's book is not new theology. Theology means the study of God. Where he is getting the vast majority of his material is from Proverbs in the Old Testament, and he's reaffirming Jesus's ministry, specifically the Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5 through 7. Uh, the emphasis being, are we loving God and are we loving one another? Now, I wonder if you ever grew up in a household uh, where, now it wasn't meant to be mean, but your parents kind of compared you with your siblings. And, and they would use it as a form of challenge or encouragement. So they might say, you know, uh, like in my household, uh, Danny, you know, um, uh, why don't you clean your room? If you don't know what it looks like, why don't you look at your younger brother, Nathan, because he seems to do a good job with that. And so I'd be like, Ugh, you know, or they'd say to my younger brother, Nathan, hey, um, I, I know you don't like to study, you know, but have you noticed your older brother, Jim, how much he studies, which is why he gets good grades. So they weren't trying to do it to be mean, but there's obviously a little bit of comparison going on. Anybody ever have that happen in your household? Just anything like that? Okay, so I'm not the only one. And, and, I, and I try, but I find myself, I do it even with my own kids sometimes. You know, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, imagine for a second being James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, okay? So imagine being in that household. Hey, James, why don't you, why don't you more like your older brother, Jesus, who's better in everything, you know, than, than you? Uh, that would be really hard. The reason I mention that is because if you're not a Christian, or even if you are, uh, one of the evidences of the resurrection is actually James. I mean, think about it for a second. If you were to walk around and start proclaiming I'm the son of God. I'm the son of God. Believe in me. I'm God in human form. Who would be the hardest people to convince of that? Your family. Because they would look at you and be like, you ain't nothing. You know, what's wrong with you? In fact, I used to put you in headlocks and all this other kind of stuff. You ain't no God. In fact, we know this because in John 7, James, as well as Mary, come to kind of pull Jesus out of his ministry because he's not just teaching anymore. He's proclaiming some things about him. And so they're trying to say, no, Jesus, you may have gone off a little bit to the deep end, but here's the astounding part. When Jesus dies on the cross and he raises from the dead, do you know one of the first followers of Christ? James. And so it substantiates our faith. Not only does he become a follower of his stepbrother Jesus as God in human form who makes the way for salvation, but he becomes not the, the followers of Jesus for the three years. He becomes the leader in the church of Jerusalem. So he's the guy. So that's how much faith you know, that he had and that God was going to use him as well. And so with that being in mind, we're not calling this series James. We're actually going to call it what I believe that James is helping us when it comes to faith, and that is to be stretched. So we're going to be stretched these next four weeks, like I said, as we blitz through, you know, this 
topic, I mean, this book. Uh, so the question as we start is, have you ever felt stretched to the breaking point? Right? Ever felt stretched to the breaking point? Uh, maybe you're newly married or single mom, three young kids, all under the age of five, okay? Just trying to get through each day. Small business owner, you know, you just lost your top contract and you're trying to make payroll. Been in those kind of stretching situations. Maybe uh, you're in school, right? And you're trying to get through, do your homework, participate in extracurricular activities, trying to figure out who you are while still being in relationships with other people. Or maybe you're a Christian and maybe you're a new Christian and you're realizing it sure is a lot easier to say that you're a Christian than it is actually to follow what it means to be a Christian. Or maybe you have gone through great suffering and loss and it is stretching you. Uh, here's what I can tell you. In the last year of our church, uh, it has probably been more suffering and loss that I have encountered through many of you than in previous 20 years of ministry. There's been so much that has taken place. As I recount this last year, I, I know that some of you have lost jobs, homes, or different finances or resources. Some of you have gone through divorce or you're still struggling through that as you've entered into another relationship. The ramifications are still painful, raw, and real, and you're being stretched. So many of you were and are still affected by the Freeman shooting. Every time something comes on TV, another shooting, another engagement, it just sends you back as if it just happened this last week. Some of you have lost parents or grandparents to death, and you're suffering that loss, the permanent loss on this side of eternity of a loved one. And that is hard. What's harder, it seems to be, for a lot of people, is when death is out of order. When somebody who is older passes away, it seems to be the natural order of things, and it's hard and it's difficult. When it's out of order, it seems to send us reeling. And so we've had people in our church who passed away from cancer, who are in their 30s and 40s and leaving small kids and spouses behind. We've had people even recently in the last few weeks who've had heart attacks or strokes who have left family members behind. There's been tragedies that have taken place in car accidents or shootings, and we're suffering the ramifications of that as having a ripple effect in our church and in our community. And so when you go through these things, one of the natural questions is, why do bad things happen? But we've already addressed that, and we'll address that in future sermons. What I actually want to address more, and what James wants us to address, is what do I, or how do I get through these times when they happen? You know, what gives me balanced perspective in the midst of? And in fact, here's what I want you to do. Think right now, put it in your mind, of a current pressure, trouble, trial, or suffering that you are facing, or maybe you've faced recently. So just put it in your head. I want you to put it in your head right now. Uh, here's what I can tell you for us as a family. You know, one of the ways that we're being stretched is through the adoption. And so we're dealing with a traumatized seven-year-old girl who's trying to figure out how to navigate the waters, and we're trying to figure out how to navigate the waters, how to bring help, wholeness, and healing to some aspects of her life that will never fully heal because of what's taken place early in her life. How do we adjust to that? And the family dynamics that it's currently bring has stretched us more than I even thought going into it. That's the one that I have in my head. And so with that in mind, how do we respond when we're being stretched in life? How do you respond? Uh, now I'm going to uh, take a, a, a page out of James's book. We're going to be in chapter one and we're going to bounce all over the place because that's what he does. I figure he gave me license to do the same. Uh, and here's the thing. 
is I can tell you that most of us, if we're being honest, our first response or reaction to being stretched is not a positive one. <laughs> if we're to be honest, the first time that something comes our way that is challenging, painful, or difficult, our first reaction is not the best. And James kind of reminds us of that, that when we are being stretched, in James chapter 1, verse 19, he says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives. I don't know about you, but that's not usually my first response. When I get stressed or pressured or, stre- you know, or go through trials or circumstances, I am usually quick to speak. I am very slow to listen, and I am very quick to become angry. Anybody else? Okay. Well, thank you for being honest. Some of you guys who I know greatly, you are lying because I know you, <laughs> and I was, I've been in those situations with you. See, the reason is, is our natural response, our human nature, is to find temporary relief. Temporary relief, either trying to over-control a situation that we really don't have that much control over, or we feel like whatever we're experiencing is going to last forever. Been there? Whatever we're going through, it's so clouded, it limits our perspective, and we feel like this is never going to end. This suffering, this pain is going to last forever. And when we think this, that this is going to last forever, we're tempted to find temporary relief. Uh, you might call it an escape of sorts. Something that will just you know, alleviate some of the suffering or pain that we all go through. And in most cases, those choices, unfortunately, usually compound the problem and don't make it better, even if it provides some temporary relief when it comes to the long run. You see, trials and suffering on the outside of our lives actually become temptations on the inside of us. Uh, we see this all the time. It's our desire to escape. Uh, let me give you a couple examples of this. If, when you're being stretched in your marriage, do you realize that you're now more tempted on the inside to escape from your marriage, to find other ways to get through the pain and suffering you're having in marriage, which actually then could be leading to something like an affair? Uh, if you happen to be single and you start feeling that pain of isolation or loneliness, there's the temptation of that struggle or situation to quickly find someone to date or hook up with, which actually lends itself to actually producing more pain and suffering in your life for a temptation moment. Or if you're a business person uh, and your business is declining, the temptation that creates that you would want to compromise your integrity in order to get that next contract. So that's the temptation. So trials and suffering on the outside become temptations on the inside. And James addresses this in James 1, verse 13 and 14. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation, verse 14, comes from our own desires, which entice us and then drags us away. Uh, one of the, people, the things people say, well, what is sin? Let's define that. Literally, sin means missing the mark. But a friend of mine, you know, in Arizona named Don Wilson, I heard a message from him this week, and the way that he describes sin is a different way than I've ever seen before, but I think it's completely accurate. He says this, sin is a proper desire that appeals to us in an improper way. Sin is a proper desire that appeals to us in an improper way. So for example, sleeping is a proper desire. Too much sleeping can lead to laziness. 
So it's a proper desire, an improper way. Sex in marriage is a proper desire. We talked about last week. Sex outside of marriage leads to more pain and suffering in relationships. Eating is a proper desire. Too much eating leads to gluttony. And so you see this desire, and that's what the, the enemy in our sinful nature likes to do. Take something that's good, that's been created, and just twist what is proper to something that's improper. Uh, it's temporary relief. James 1.15 says, These desires, these sinful desires, give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So notice the progression that takes place when you and I are being stretched and we're going through suffering and we're looking for temporary relief from the whatever it is that those temptations come in that we think is going to provide some levity in our lives. The progress that God says is this, desire. That's the first thing. There's a desire for something which leads to a deception. We begin to believe ourselves that if we engage in whatever it is, whatever activity, it's going to bring some relief from our pain and suffering in life. And it will temporarily, but the deception is it doesn't take care of it long term, which then leads to disobedience. We actually engage in the activity, which then leads to death or separation from God. That's the death that he's talking about. So the best example of this is the Garden of Eden, right? Perfect. Everything's all going well. And so what happens? There's this conversation, you know, with Satan. There's this temptation that's there. She sees the fruit. It looks pleasing to the eye. There's the desire. The deception is that he says to her, hey, if you eat this, you'll be like God. You know, this is, this is going to provide. This is going to be great for you. She believes the deception, right? She convinces herself this is the right thing, which leads to then disobedience. She takes a bite of the apple, hands it to her husband. Adam, he eats as well, which then leads to death or, and or separation from God and pain in relationships with one another. Now, there is another way to respond. It's not the easier way. When you are being stretched and going through pain and trials and suffering, there is another way to respond. And here's what it is. Change your perspective. When you're going through something painful, it's hard to see again beyond whatever it is that you're going through. But let's put it in this context. Have you ever had a conversation with an elementary child who just got in a fight with a friend, right? Doesn't that be your child, somebody else? And you hear words like this, I hate him. I hate her. I never want to be their friend again. In fact, I don't want any more friends. You, you hear that. You know, do you come in and say, yeah, do that. That's great wisdom. In fact, anytime someone hurts you, you disavow them, cut them off, put them in friendship timeout box. That's what you need to do, right? You don't do that as a parent. You say, you know what? Let's try to work through this conflict. Let's, let's try to help you see what may be going on. Now, if that's a bad friend, then you teach them between good friends and bad friends, but you tell them that there are other friends out there and having relationships is important. Now, how in the world do you have that kind of wisdom? How in the world are you able to say that with such conviction? Perspective. To them, this is the most horrific thing that's ever taken place in this young child's life. But to you, you have a different perspective that's outside of their circumstances or pain that allows you to give wisdom in and through the situation they're in. Let me give you another example. How about in high school or beyond, you know, young adult? There's a relationship, deep relationship, love that's taken place, and now there's a breakup, right? The pain, the suffering that goes through in a breakup. I'm never going to get over this. And you say, honey, yes, you will. No, I won't. There are other fish in the sea. Don't say that kind of garbage to me. How in the world are you able to say things? Perspective. You have a different perspective than they do. Uh, one last one. You've got a friend. 
a coworker, a neighbor, a family member going through loss, grief, trials, and suffering. To them, this is all they can see. This is their world. This is what they're living in. So what do you do? You try to bring comfort by being there by maybe saying some words or reminding them even that it's going to get better. How do you freaking know that it's going to get better? Because that's what they're feeling. That's all they can see. That's all that they've experienced. How do you know that it's going to get better? Perspective. See, as God's kids, we have a father that has a perspective that he reveals to us that gives us the strength and perseverance to get through whatever suffering or trial we're going through if we would just know, listen, and follow. You see, our perspective changes when we know, receive, and apply God's word. He tells us about all sorts of life circumstances of pains and sufferings and how we can have perspective in the midst of it all. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 21, it says, humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to the God's, God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. You're just fooling yourselves. It's like a man, they says, who looks in the mirror and forgets immediately after what they just saw, what they look like. Imagine this. Again, parents or people around kids. How excited do you get when your kids nod in agreement when you ask them to do something. Hey, Josiah, go clean your room. Thanks, buddy. Two days later, how excited are you that they didn't follow through with what they said they were going to do? Not, not as much, right? So them acknowledging, them hearing is one thing. Them doing is just a little bit more important, right? Uh, Jesus emphasizes this. When he talks in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he ends his great Sermon on the Mount with what are you going to build your life on? He tells us you're going to face trials. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to face trouble in this world. So what are you building your life on? You have two choices, sand or rock. And so you're like, well, obviously, I want to build my house on a rock. So when the waves and wind, we just sang about a flood, we sang about a hurricane you know, coming in, when those things happen, what am I building my life on? And he says, here's how you know. Those who hear my words, step one, got to hear my words, and put them into practice is the one who built their life on the rock. Hearing from me today is not enough. Me reading God's word is not enough. Application of God's word is what leads to transformation and allows my life to be built on rock so that when the winds do come, when the torrents do come in my life, I'm able to stand firm. Perspective. That's what helps. That's what gives us the strength to actually be able to get through whatever, whatever life throws at us, no matter what that may be. And so uh, uh, this is all set up for a reason, okay? This is all set up for a reason. God wants to tell us something through his word that doesn't make any, any, any sense any more than when you tell a friend that it's going to be okay. So here's what I want you to do. Think again. Feel again whatever current or recent pain, trial, or suffering that you have. Okay, put it in your minds. Put it in your hearts. It's not pleasant. Now brace yourselves. Because here's what God says. James 1, 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider an opportunity for great joy. James, you must be outside your mind. You must have no idea what suffering and pain looks like. But the problem is he does. 
Because some of the greatest persecution and suffering and loss that the church has ever experienced is taking place when James is writing this. He's writing it to Christians all over the world and also a reminder to us that this is the perspective that we're supposed to have. But how in the world am I supposed to have joy in the midst of my suffering? Perspective. That's the key. Now, joy is not happiness. You're not just like a creepy person walking around. I lost my job. Yay! This is great. You know, my father just passed away. Awesome. You know, like, no, you're, you got some counseling. We need to have you go through, and we have some people lined up to be able to do that. Joy is an inward perspective. It's a contentment. It's a peace beyond the circumstance. It's an internal state of being. Verse 3, James tells us, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance then has a chance to grow. So here's the perspective. The end result of my pain can help my faith when I know and believe that then I can experience joy. In other words, what James is saying to us is in those times of pain and suffering, faith must be tested before it can be trusted. You do realize that. It is so easy for us to sing about and proclaim words that we read that God is a healer until we actually need healing. It's really easy to say. It's really easy to say that God is our provider until we actually need him to provide. It is easy to say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength until we have to do some things through Christ to give me strength for. See, it's a whole difference, so don't miss this. Going through troubles or trials is not what makes us mature. How we respond to trials or troubles is what will make us mature. So what James says in verse 4 is, So let faith grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So what he's saying is perspective allows us to see that God's desire is to grow our character more than our comfort based on the level of pain and suffering that we're going through. And here's the hard part. If we value comfort more than character, then when trouble comes, we're not going to have joy. If we value material things more than spiritual maturity, we will not rejoice when trials come. If we live only for the present instead of the future, we will become bitter in the midst of trials. Now, I've used this illustration before, but it just stuck with me so well that I hope it sticks with you. Uh, you heard about the couple who went on vacation, right? And they come back from this long road trip, but just husband and wife, and they pull into the driveway. They're exhausted. They had a phenomenal time just being with one another. And they just look at each other, and they're just like, hey, why don't we unpack in the morning? Let's just go to sleep. So they go inside. They go to sleep. They wake up the next morning. Wife looks out and says, uh, honey, where'd you park the car? She says, what do you mean where'd I park the car? It's obviously in front of the driveway. She says, not now. So they looked out, and they're like, oh my gosh, our car got stolen last night. So they call the police, they do everything in their power just to kind of, you know, figure out what's going on. And, and all of a sudden, a wave hit them. They responded immediately to the crisis, but then the wave came next. And they began to think about all the things that were in there that were left in the car. Wallets, credit cards, pictures, different things that they had taken with them that seemed now gone forever. And as they thought and processed under their current trial and suffering, they got more and more anxious and upset and down and discouraged as most of our first reactions would be. Then all of a sudden, he sits down, and they're watching TV, and a commercial comes on. A used car salesman says, hey, look, here's a car that's this, 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 to which he starts laughing because he recognizes that's the same kind of car that he just had. And he just looks at it, he goes, isn't that funny, honey, that that's there? And she looks at him, and she says, how in the world can you laugh during a time like this? How in the world can you just sit there on the couch and be okay 
why aren't you with me stewing about this thing? And he goes, well, something just dawned on me. She goes, what's that? He says, well, I can stew and, and be miserable and be unhappy, and we have a stolen car. Or I can choose to be joyful and content because I've done everything in my power, and we have a stolen car. Either way, we have a stolen car. I choose joy. I choose a different perspective in the midst of it. And see how that works? And I'm like, it's so, so good. Now, I had a lady, this is not a biblical statement, but I've got a lady who's gone through so much in her lifetime that she's known for going around and saying this phrase, forced joy is better than genuine depression. (laughs) You chew on that, you know, for a little while, you know, to actually make a choice than to go there. See, if we don't maintain or have a perspective that this is actually going to be good, that there's going to be, that we're going to trust a good God, we will become bitter because of what's taking place. Trials in life make us better or it makes us bitter. Two people can experience the exact same situation, one because of their foundation with Christ as a rock and their trust in him beyond the circumstance and their perspective, they get better. Their, their faith goes deeper. They grow maturity. Someone who's built on sand, who decides that this is all there is, they become bitter. And the unfortunate thing is that we can kind of fool people early in life, but you can't fool people later in life. You know people who are aged, who you're like, man, that person finds incredible joy and they're their 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's unbelievable the joy they have. And especially when you understand their backstory, you can find somebody else in the 70s and 90s who are some of the most bitter, cantankerous people that you know because they have allowed the perspective or the weight of life to influence their heart. And over time, we become bitter or we become better. Uh, Here's what I can tell you. When we lost a child through miscarriage, we were able, after the immediate response that probably wasn't the best one, we were able to find joy in the midst of it all. When I lost my dad in his early 60s, just a few years ago, people looked at me and said, how in the world can you find peace and joy in the midst of this? And I said, because there's a perspective that I hold that's greater than the circumstance that I'm in. I'm going to mourn because that's what God's called me to do, but I'm going to mourn with hope. You see, one of the things I want to encourage you is that we have a class called Grief Share. We do it a couple times a year, and tomorrow night it kicks off again. And, it's, and you can even show up a couple weeks from now, but if you have suffered loss, I mean, good loss this last year, and you find yourself kind of stuck, you know, in that circumstance, or you fooled yourself to think, no, this isn't affecting me at all, but those who love you are looking at you like, no, no, it still affects you. It comes out, your fuse is shorter, you're angrier, quicker. I'd encourage you strongly to go through that course with you and your loved ones or other people who've gone through, especially loss of loved ones or trauma of certain kinds. It helps you work through the process. James 1.12 says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Don't miss this as, we, as we're going to wrap up. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. Talk about the ultimate perspective. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus says, don't be surprised that you're going to have difficult trials and situations. In John 16, 33, says, I've told you all this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. 
Do you realize what he's saying? He's not saying he's overthrown the world. He's not saying he's created just smooth pathways of comfort and, and ease for the rest of your life. He's saying whatever pain or suffering that you and I are going through is nothing compared to what sin has done into our lives that we can wait for on the other side. You see, in our culture, nothing becomes more clear than when you go through a funeral service. Regardless of people's religious beliefs, more often than not, it's the one time that in our culture we realize that this world may not be all there is. And everything becomes clear. If you've ever lost someone, especially this last year and the last couple of years, you know in the immediate aftermath or during the loss of whatever it is that you've gone through, all of a sudden things get crystal clear about what matters most. And you're like, okay, I don't care about all what all these other people are caring about. For a few moments, days, or weeks, or maybe even months, you have crystal clarity about this is what matters most in life. And you realize that it's about relationships, and you realize that there's something beyond this life. That's what gives you the hope. You see, Billy Graham passed away this last week. And Billy Graham lived a life in such a way that even 10 years ago, he planned his own funeral service. Because his message was the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus has overcome the world. And that no matter how hard, how painful, how difficult this life becomes, we can still find joy because the perspective is this life is never all there is. That there's something greater that awaits us, even though it's hard to see beyond the suffering that we experience in this life. But it gives us a perspective which can give us a peace which allows our life to be built on a rock that allows us to get through whatever it is that we're going through. And that's why he tells us that even in heaven, all things are new, new bodies. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Anybody else? You know, amen. No more trials, suffering, pain, or loss. The old things are gone and the new has come. Jesus, because of the cross and resurrection, allows us to have that take place. Which is why you might hear my voice level intensity rises whenever we start talking about Easter or Christmas Eve because it gives us an opportunity as followers of Christ to engage with the non-Christian world, to give them what Billy Graham lived for, which was the message of Jesus Christ to anyone who would be willing to accept an invitation or hear. And so you'll see that we have eight different services you know, that are taking place. And four of them on Sunday morning, it's gonna change some of your time frame, so just kind of make sure of that. There's gonna be, there's gonna be you know, invites as you leave. Because we have a responsibility, a privilege of sharing this good news. You and I have this opportunity because it allows people to have a perspective beyond themselves when they go through sufferings and trials in life. We have to make a decision to trust even when we don't understand. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And we might say, just like what we say to our kids, you say, I don't get it, I don't understand. And you look at your kids, and no matter how much you explain, no matter how much you tell them, with whatever pain or suffering or difficulty they're going in life, that it, there is a different perspective, and they're looking at you like, well, you crazy. You don't, know, you don't know what you're talking about. Until they're actually in their 20s, then they think you're brilliant again. You know, that's what happens when kids grow up. How much more so with God? That we should trust that our Father in heaven is going to use this for good even if it may not be your good, but God's gonna use it for the good of other people because he knows where you're gonna be. So here's my final question. How will you now respond to whatever trial, suffering that you are facing? Let me show you one more little thing. Uh, many people uh, have heard a hymn you know, called It Is Well. 
and, and it's, a, it's a famous hymn that has been sung, you know, in, in hundreds of churches for, for, for several generations. And, and we've sang it here, you know, before, and I've told this story before. The hymn is powerful. The words are powerful. But what makes the words that much more powerful is the circumstance in which the person wrote the hymn. See, his name was Ratio Spafford, and you can look it up online to get all the details, but his wife and kids were on a transatlantic uh, boat, you know, a trip, and the, and the ship sunk. She survived, and all the kids died. What's your response? Talk about loss. Talk about suffering. Talk about pain. Talk about a different perspective, because as he got on the next ship to go meet with his wife, he asked the captain, where did my kids lose their lives? And then he wrote these words that became a hymn that has been sung by so many of us for so many years. It's been used in variations, but the chorus says this, it is well, it is well with my soul. He's choosing to trust God. Two reasons. He knows where his kids are at and he's gonna see them again. He can grieve with hope knowing that this world is not the end. So he says, it is well with my soul. Sometimes we have to force the words even when we're not feeling them. And secondly, he knows what Jesus has done. That regardless of pain and suffering and difficulty and challenge, that Jesus has overcome the world. Whatever suffering or loss or thing that you're going through or will go through, my prayer is that you can now have a different perspective that gets you through as you build your life on him who is the solid rock. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today for the opportunity just to hear something difficult, challenging, because we all go through it. So help us to put our lives first in you who conquered death, sin, and the grave, to know that no matter what this world may bring us, that we can have a perspective beyond it. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you and we can sing words until they are true in our hearts that it is well with our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.